All right, guys, let's, uh, let's get started. We are uh, going to be doing something tonight for the next few weeks that hopefully will be, I, I think it'll be fun. Um, but after a few weeks break from, you know, reading God's Word with John Kleinig, we, we had Pe- uh, Professor Matt Milner here. And uh, so we're kind of going to go back to what we were doing with John Kleinig and well, let's pray. I'm sorry. Let's pray first. And then we'll In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and kindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who, by the light of the Holy Spirit, did instruct the hearts of the faithful, grant that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise, and ever enjoy his consolation. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do is we're, you know, over, you know, back in September and October, you know, we were going over to Kleinick's book, and then I always try to leave time to actually read the text together, and time management didn't work real well. So we're actually going to be doing that now, uh, tonight. And so this, I'm going to explain what we're going to do, and then we'll go do it. But what we're going to do is we're going to split up into three groups. I, you know, when I work with confirmation kids, I always line them up by birthday, and then I go one, two, three. We're not going to do that, okay? You guys can uh, pick, pitch, pick what group? The groups, what are they? Well, they're, they're, we're going to split up by readings because we're going to explore the Advent readings uh, for this next month, we uh, uh, Advent one, Advent two, Advent three, and Advent four. Just to let you know, Saint John, we're not celebrating Advent four because Advent four would be the morning of December twenty fourth. And if you had read, if you haven't yet, but I'll let you in. Read the schedule in the bulletin. You'll notice that we actually don't have church Sunday morning. On December 24th, we have it only on, at 4 o'clock and 7 o'clock, the December, or Christmas Eve services. All right, but we're going to still take a look at the text for Advent 4, because we have four Thursdays. So we're going to do the Old Testament epistle and a gospel reading, and we're going to split up into groups. We have three, well, four leaders, three uh, uh, the Old Testament is going to be led by Brad Kigios and David Baird. The Epistle is going to be led by David... Uh, There's a long story, but David Eisenhammer. You know, I don't know if anybody knew this, but I've been calling him by the wrong name for... You? Me. I know. I know. It's... Uh, I mean, this is, you know, when we track you, when people travel together, you get to know people and you get to know a little bit about yourself. And while we were in Israel in April, it came out. So I, that came up tonight, David. Do you remember that conversation? You don't have, oh, well, it was very formative for me. (laughs) And not just me, Holly brought it up too. Yeah, because, well, Isaac actually, my son Isaac, he said, why did he say Eisenhammer? He's like, well, that's his name. He's like, you've been saying his name wrong? And that's, 
uh, Holly recounted, I, it doesn't matter what I used to say. <laughs> so, speaking of saying names wrong, Joe, Joe <laughs> leading the gospel reading. Um, and so anyway, so they're going to be leading it. But what's going to happen is you're going to read the text three times. First time is just, you know, sort of fact-finding mission. Second reading is more of internalizing it. And then the third reading is chewing the cud, you know, meditating, things that we have explored before. And we're going to spend, well, you have to be back in this room by, I got to see. What does that say exactly? It's just, yeah. So that gives us 25 minutes. Perfect. Um, so the groups are going to split up. Uh, Old Testament reading is going to go to 206. That's the, one, that's the room closest to the bathroom down the hallway. The epistle reading is going to go to the pastor's library, which I think is 202. Gospel will stay right here. Okay. Now, you know, most men have like to practice the path of least resistance, which, you know, but I encourage everyone to uh, explore all the readings. But the leaders have a form to, to guide the readings and to discuss. And then at 7.15, or you got to be back here in this room by 7.15, because then we're going to explore those together. And at that time, I will have a, a handout for everybody. So it will be uh, a little bit easier for the other groups to kind of catch up. Uh, because you're only going to do the one reading for 25 minutes. Bradley and David, did I, did I explain that correctly? So. Like, oh, by the way. Oh, no, no, I'll explain that later. Never mind. Okay, any questions from the group, though? Okay, if you didn't bring a Bible, we have a bunch of Bibles on the, the desks, or on the tables. We have more Bibles if we need them. Okay, great. So, Old Testament, 206. That's Bradley and David. And the other David will go to the pastor's study. Does everyone understand what is happening? Okay, if everyone stays in this room, I'm going to have to line everybody up by birthday, and we're going to have to go one, two, three, and get it out of here, okay? No, bring your Bibles with you. Nine a room. We have 27, nine a room. Now, if you stay in this room, you've you got to move closer to, we've got to come together, you know, you're not going to be shouting across the room. So, uh, come together, just like uh, the Beatles. Are you guys from the epistle room? All right. I'm not, I'm not going to say what time it is, but 7.18, that's all I'm saying, 7.15. All right, perfect. Thank you, David. All right, uh, everyone should have a little packet uh, on their table, you know, hand them out. I mean, it's, this is there for you guys to, uh, by the way, this packet, anything good in this packet, I'll claim responsibility. Anything bad, I'll blame on Brad and David. Just, I just will let you know right now, okay? No, Brad and David uh, did a great job putting this packet together for everybody. Um, and I'm, I'm very thankful for them to, to do it. It was just extremely helpful. Okay, so we're going to start with the Old Testament reading. For those who did not read the Old Testament reading, 
It's on the front page of the packet. It's from Isaiah 64. And with the Old Testament people, I'm going to, I'm not going to ask you to rehash everything you said, but I would like to ask you, was there anything that, like uh, number three, anything that stands, or I'm sorry, number, uh, number one, what stood out in the text that started the conversation from the Old Testament group? I'm sorry, let's read it together. Sorry. Isaiah 64, 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, You came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people. Uh, Okay, great. Anything that stood out that started the conversation? David. Um, So we talked about how, uh, what talking about when he says that the mountains might quake. Sure. And it brought up Psalm 2. Okay. First few verses say, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. So these things like mountains that seem so powerful and immovable to us, right. they are like vapor in the hands of God. That's right. Uh, yeah, so David brings up the, like, the imagery. I mean, this, is like, uh, this text is filled with a lot of Im- imagery. And you know, I'm not surprised you, you know, people had a tough time getting done in the allotted time because each of the images in the Old Testament text you could spend a long time on. So, like, for instance, mountains. Uh, Just think about, okay, if you had the opportunity to read all of Isaiah, mountains would play an important part in the book of Isaiah. But you guys who've all been to Sunday school probably can think of mountains in the Old Testament. What is a famous mountain in the Old Testament? Mount Sinai. That's the number one mountain in, well, basically... 
that and the Mount of Transfiguration. Those are very similar, of course, because Moses shows up at both of them. Uh, mountains are, like David said, they're, they're magnificent, right? This is why, you know, people always want to go to Colorado. Oh, it's so beautiful. It's easy to appreciate mountains, by the way. But for everyone who lives in Illinois, it, it, takes a, it, it takes a lot of effort to appreciate the beauty in Illinois, okay? This is like, uh, you know, if you want to be lazy and find beauty, yeah, go to Colorado. Mountains, who cares about them? But if you want to find beauty, if you want to look for beauty, you want to struggle, come to Illinois. Okay. But yeah, yeah so, so very powerful, very beautiful, but of course, the mountains are places where God meets his people in the Old Testament. And what is underlying this entire text, though, is that God is doing everything for his people. They're in iniquity. They melt away. They, they, there's just nothing they can do. In fact, anything they do do, they always screw up. So God's power is coming down to save his people. Um, and you see that, obviously, in the, in the, the mountain imagery. You see this in the uh, potter imagery. One of the interesting things, too, is the life and death in this text. And it's a little harder to see because the polluted garment. Did that come up in your discussion at all? Okay. Polluted garment is um, it's a menstrual gar- uh, cloth. And in the Old Testament, you weren't allowed to have sex during a woman's menstrual period. And the reason why that was is because a woman was not fertile. This wasn't the time of life. And so there was this, and that's why a woman was unclean, quote-unquote unclean, ritually unclean. Not, not in essence unclean, but ritually unclean. And that was because, well, what's the menstrual cycle for? It's for a new life. And so the period was a sign that life had not been uh, given. And so it's, it's actually a little bit of a sign of death. So the righteous deeds that we do without God end in death. But with God, salvation comes. So there's a lot of crazy imageries. Or I mean, not crazy, but like, you know, profound imageries in this text. Okay, but we have to keep going. One last thing about the Old Testament ta- group. What was the one, th- one other thing that you guys had any questions on? Sorry, any, any major questions that you guys had? If not, we'll go on to the next group. Because I could keep talking about the Old Testament, by the way, but I'm not going to. Because uh, the context of this... Oh, by the way, old, old, uh, the mountain in Isaiah, Isaiah 25, uh, on this mountain, God will swallow up death forever. He will provide a feast of rich wine, marrow, the finest wine. So, already in Isaiah, mountains are this very profound and powerful thing. Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians. In order to, well, no, this is a short reading. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, we haven't talked about the context of the readings at all. Uh, maybe we will do it here. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 through 9. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, similar. Uh, what, was the, what was the first thing that happened in your discussion in the epistle group? Well, I think we've talked about, about grace. And yeah. grace uh, being one of the highest gifts, or the highest gift of God. And, and yep. that then uh, Paul seems to be, uh, as you said, in context, this is an introductory paragraph of a letter. And Paul seems to be setting a stage here in a way. Right. And he's doing that by, by uh, I think, in some ways congratulating these Corinthians for their, their success in, in, in becoming Christian, proclaiming Christ. But reminding them that it's, again, the gift of grace is not something that they've come up with on their own. That's right. Admonishing them to, to not get stuck on, on, or not to be self-centered, and to be stuck in the moment and how good we're doing Christianity and we're really good Christians, but to remember to, to focus not only on the present, but on end times, the importance of things that are going to happen in the future. Right. Um, and then finally, the last first the idea of fellowship again. Right. A letter where it's going to be bringing groups that are quite disparate together and yeah. uh, that bunch of groups in fellowship is important and that's how they will. That's great. Yep. So that's, that's, uh, okay, that's great. So th that's fantastic. Yeah. So again, if we were to read all of First Corinthians, we would realize there's not a lot of great fellowship in this congregation. So what Paul is doing is, like, like David said, this is an introduction, but he is, he already has the whole, it, by the way, this is an epistle, was meant to be read in the church service, so it's like a sermon. So Paul already has, you know, he's got the whole thing in his brain. So he's really setting them up to reveal what things should be then how they are, and then how, how God's going to heal them or, or redeem them. So, the one thing that David said was the fellowship, okay? So, in both of the texts in Isaiah and in Corinthians, and we'll have this in Mark too, there's this forward-looking. In this text, it's the revealing of, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what are all these, so grace is given for purpose, there's a purpose attached to it, and it's not simply to go to heaven, there's more, there's, it's, it's a much richer and all-encompassing gift, and that coincides with the revealing of the Son of God, and that is the fellowship. So part of grace is this coming together into the fellowship of Jesus Christ. And the will ultimately would be done in heaven. So there's this forward thinking that heaven is not just a bunch of individuals, you know, at the beach 
you know, in Cancun, but is in fact a fellowship. And of course, fellowship is union. Well, we, you know, we already, in the, in the preface for, or I'm sorry, the prayer of Thanksgiving in our, our church service, uh, we talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's forward, it's in heaven. That marriage supper is union. So the fellowship of Jesus Christ in heaven is this union between God and man. So where the bride and the bridegroom come together. So grace is rest restores that relationship with God that's pointed all the way to that final messianic banquet. But of course, we already experience the, that now, right? Because the fellowship of Jesus Christ, that fellowship, that's code word. Because where else does fellowship happen? In the church, but even be more specific. Uh, yeah, but... but the what? Yeah, at the rail. Uh, the Lord's Supper. Yeah, but, but that's exactly right. Though You're right. So all these answers were correct. We, I just want to be more concrete. This idea is that at, in the Lord's Supper, we have fellowship with the Son of God, but through the fellowship of the Son of God, we also have fellowship with one another. And that is a foreshadowing of heaven itself. But that's precisely why you're given grace, is to, to enter into that relationship, which is familial. Okay. Yes. Um, verse six, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed, um, who had spoken to people in college about Jesus Christ before? Was there any? Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, excellent. So, um, yes, you mean just in Corinth? Yeah. As far as we know. I, don't, I can't remember who traveled with Paul. I would have to look it up. Well, there was, uh, but, but yeah, so Barnabas, Silas, John Mark, uh, there was several people that had traveled with Paul, but Paul is the main instigator in Corinth. That's right. That, that's, uh, you'd have to, you're testing me now. It's in Acts where that missionary journey is into Corinth. And that's precisely why he's writing to them and not, not some other apostle, is because he, I don't, it's not in 1 Corinthians. He sent someone ahead of, so they were. Oh, no, so Paul, okay, so hang on. So Paul was the first missionary to Corinth. So he brought Christianity to Corinth. However, there, uh, okay, so who did he preach to? Did he just preach mainly to Gentiles? Or were there Jews in Corinth? And most likely there was Jews in Corinth. So he started with the Jews, which of course there was conversions based on the Messianic hope. And then part of that, you know, controversy was it wasn't just for the Jews, but there was Gentiles now coming in. And part of that fellowship was causing a lot of problem because Paul was eating at table with Jews and Gentiles. So, so that's how that worked. So, so Paul uh, comes to Corinth, preaches to the Jews, conversion, and then Gentiles become quickly part of that because it's mainly a Gentile congregation, yeah. Great question. Because uh, this is all part and parcel of understanding the biblical text is asking those questions, so I'm glad. Okay. Was, did you go there? So there was a Jewish quarter there, but it was kind of like... 
Oh, I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure it was removed. Yeah, yep, yep. And the reason why that was is because Corinth was a major metropolitan city, and there were Jewish uh, uh, populations in all major trading places, yeah. Right. It showed us the, the toilet system that was so kind of advanced on, uh, compared to other areas in, in that area at the time. That we had Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. It's a temporary thing when it talks about Baltimore for a mass. Okay. Acts 18, you said? Yeah. Yep. Okay, so th okay, this is another great thing that hopefully you guys are understanding. As we read scripture, you know, uh, so Paul is writing to this group, right? It's also connected to history, meaning Acts. And so this is all part and parcel of like, why is Paul writing what he's writing to this particular group? And then, of course, as, our, as we interpret the Bible, then we ask ourselves, how is Jesus also speaking that to us? You know, God, God didn't only speak to Corinth as if we're like observers. Remember, that was part of John Kleinick's thing was that uh, scripture, while it happens in the past, speaks to us currently. But, but not abstracted from history, though. So that's, it's not mythical. It's, yeah. All right. We got to keep moving. Mark. We're going to not read this text because uh, it's a little bit longer. This is the end of the world, or as John Tonemacher, proponent of the rapture over here, apparently. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm joking. I hope. All right. It's uh, end times. All right. So what was the thing that you guys started your conversations? I would, well, we started with the word awake oh. or be on watch. Yes. I mean, so much of our conversation was around that, be on guard, uh, doing that, just always being there, uh, talking about how that would, that watching is, can be active and passive. Absolutely. And both of that, so we had a lot of discussion about that. I read a quote, I know we're short on time, but a quote from... No, no, please. Uh, from Augustine. Uh, when it tells us to watch for the last day, everyone should think of this as concerning his own last day. Right. Lest happily, when you judge or think the last day of the world to be far distant, you slumber with respect to your own last day. Yep, that's exactly. So this is exactly what I just talked about. The text is specifically for us to to contemplate, not just you know when the temple was destroyed back in you know seventy A.D. Uh, or even um, the crucifixion. I mean, all that, of course. Is part of the text, but then also, too, we have to ask ourselves about our last day. Now, one of the interesting things, though, just in terms of awake, this is very, this is very think about it in terms of imagery. Uh, when I work with the kids, I always ask them, you know, the Greek word for dead is nekros, spiritually dead, you're nekros. And a lot of kids don't like to talk to Pastor Nelson. They're quiet, they're reserved. So I say, why don't you show me? And so they'll lay down. They'll just lay down like they're dead, like they're sleeping. And I'll say, okay, baptism resurrects you, and I'll splash them with water, and then they'll stand up. That imagery is very important for us in this text because 
when you are awake, you take on the resurrection stance. Meaning you're not lying down, you're standing up, and, you know, ask these little kids, resurrected doesn't mean just standing up, but it means movement, following Jesus. And so part of staying awake is not just being conscious, but act, being active. And, and being active in the way of following. Because when Jesus shows up, so this is another thing, too, about old cemeteries. Does anyone know how people are buried? Like, which way are they facing? Uh, Christian cemeteries. They're fa- facing the east because the sun comes up from the east. And you're buried towards the east so that you can see Jesus coming with the sun. And so that you wake up and follow him. So it's a beautiful imagery, but this is precisely what's happening here in the text, is that we need to stay awake, because the opposite of awake is sleeping, which is another sort of uh, euphemism for dead. Awake is resurrection. But also, too, there's so many other aspects of it, too. In light, like, uh, I'm using this word, uh, technically speaking, I can't remember the Greek word off the top of my head, enlightenment, meaning you, you're, you're fully aware, you're, you're uh, present and engaged, you know what's happening, and you're anticipating what is happening. So, okay, but did anyone talk about, like, uh, no one knows the hour except for the Father? It's always a, so Jesus says, no one knows, not even the Son knows. Like, what? Jesus is divine, how can that happen? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a simple answer. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I just don't put a restriction on God. That's what I would say. God doesn't know, it's because I uh, decide not to know. Think about that for a little bit. No, but, but Jesus, God's not arbitrary, so yes, it's the human nature, but that if we meditate upon the human nature, that Jesus doesn't actually know something, or it's, it's, it's on the horizon, because obviously he will know you know, because when he dies and rises again. But that whole understanding that the, the human, God comes close to us. There's not a gap. It's not like he's like a really cool human or like a demigod, kind of like half human or even almost human. I mean, fully, almost fully human. What's the guy from Princess Bride? Slightly alive, slightly. He's just slightly God. No, no, he's fully human, fully God, and being fully human, we have to wrestle with what that means, and that might make us uncomfortable, like in this circumstance, but Jesus doesn't know when that happens, at that time, but of course he's resurrected now, so things are different, and that's what we're looking for. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, exactly, Matthew 25. Okay. Was there anything else that stood out in the text? Why so long? Oh, yes. Knowing that we would hear it now. Right. Why so long? I don't know. Well, uh, oh, I, I, my, the, 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 like the academic answer is, you know, time is very irrelevant to God, right? So that's, that's a problem for us, not for him. And I would just simply go to 
Uh, Galatians 4, in the fullness of time, Christ was born of a virgin. Like the idea of fullness of time. There will come a point in time where time will be full and then psh, the, res- or the, yeah, the, the final, final judgment and the new heavens and the new earth will give birth. Yes? My point with that was that God knows who we are. He knows that we're sinful, that we're short-term thinkers. Yeah. And so I find it odd that he would tell us to watch for something that for the last 2,000 years none of us have seen happen. Mm-hmm. So it would be, he, he knows that it will be easy for us to hear that and say, what are you talking about coming? I don't, why should I be worrying about this? Yeah, right. Did you, well, did, they, did everyone hear that? Did you guys actually hear that over there? Okay. This is really important because the, in the Mark text, there are different layers of interpretation or application. The one that James is talking about, kind of like our life and when this is going to happen. But in Mark 13, you can actually talk about the end of the world happening when Jesus dies on the cross and that these guys are waiting or observing the end of the world at the end of the universe because God is dying and so there is that level of interpretation that's that's true uh, um, because he's not in the reading that you read but uh, I think it's before this where Jesus will talk about how the sun will be darkened Earth will shake. It's early in the part we read. Okay, so that that's that's precisely what happens in the crucifixion. But if but, I take it that way, then I, only that way, then I say, hey, that's already happened. I guess I don't have to. Be. No, no. So that's a, that's the thing. So that understanding that then defines how you wait now. So that's why the, the, you can't you can't take one without the other. Is that what you're waiting for has actually already happened, but the fullness of that has not happened. So it's, it's this thing where, um, well, not to get too Doctor Who on this, but uh, there was a movie that came out, Everything All at Once or something like that. It's a, the Asian, uh, the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon woman. Maybe you guys don't know, but anyways, it's a very interesting movie because it, it, it deals with how can, how can things in the past still affect the present, but in a very, very uh, concrete way. Because all these things are happening at once in this woman, and she's, she's trying to keep, keep this all together, right? Things that happened years ago or things that happen in the future are coming now, and it's very peculiar. It's a, that's an analogous to what's happening in the text, is that Jesus is talking about both things at once and understanding that the crucifixion as kind of the the end of the old, but it's also the beginning of the new. And, and the, the, the final day is then the, that, that's like the just Jason period, which will, there will be a distinct time and go, yeah. David. Yeah, the recording commentary, the last point of the exegetical viewpoint, I think it did a good job of spelling this out a little bit where it says, Jesus' um, prediction of the future coming in the southern land sees anticipatory fulfillment at the cross. So the sun going dark at midday, towers of heaven shaking, the rending of the veil, the gathering of people at Pentecost, and then the presence of the Son of Man in glory at the cross. 
They're all, it's all connected. Now again, this is something where we live then in this tension of what's happened and will happen. So we live in this hope that because of what happened, it will happen. I mean, there's this, and so some people talk about the now and not yet, which is, that's fine. That, that's a good way to talk about it too. But this is something for us as Christians because the deed has been done, the resurrection has happened, and God has promised that resurrection for all who have been baptized, which then means we, we're awake, but we're waiting like we are waiting back in the old days at the gate at the airport. Yeah, we can't wait for this person to show up. You know, we, we know their, their plane's on time, they're coming, you know, I mean, but this is how we're waiting. We're waiting for that to happen with the anticipation. So, of course, we're staying awake. I mean, for the most part. I do remember falling asleep one time waiting for someone, but that won't matter who that was. Yeah, so anyway, so that's the image of what's happening here, but there is this, like, confidence that it will happen. Last question, we got, we got to go pray. We got to pray. I'm what they talked about, so I shouldn't be concerned about what's already happened because it's going to happen. I should be concerned about how am I waiting. That's right. That yeah, you're right, because the crucifixion gives you hope. It helps you, it helps you wait. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. All right, we're going to go, we're going to go pray evening prayer. First of all, I think you guys did a great job. This is great. I will control my comments next time. But, so you have the packet. Uh, obviously, the, the gospel text will be the one preached on this Sunday. So you can maybe, uh, you know, maybe that might add a little more color to your uh, meditations for the week. But next week, we'll, we'll go on admin, too. All right, let's, uh, let's go down. I mean, we're, you guys are great. Awesome.